Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, a senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. God bless you. You are wonderful. Well, last Friday night service of the year. Come on. If you are new with us, welcome. If you are always here, welcome. Does anybody else feel like 22 kind of, um, 2022 kind of just evaporated? Like the years always go fast, but this one just, I feel like it just, it went like that. But it is very much that time of year where you are either one of those people who is sitting down and having a good think, reflecting on the year that was, thinking about the year that's coming, prayerfully considering what you want to achieve, who you want to be, what you're going to believe God for, or you are kind of like at the height of holiday mode, still getting into your Christmas leftovers if you're Pastor George, not really sure what day of the week it is, right? I feel like there's not really an in-between. You kind of end up being one of those extremes. Is that right? That's what I thought. Oh, thanks, Sam. Sammy always has my back, I tell you. Um, but anyway, anyway, whether you are still getting through your Christmas leftovers or you are processing the year that is to come, we all kind of know that a little bit of intentionality when we are approaching a new year is something that we should aspire towards, right? And we all likely have some idea of what we are expecting of ourselves in 2023 or what we're hoping for, maybe just in the back of your mind somewhere. Maybe you want to excel in your studies or get a promotion or lose the weight, make more friends, get the girl, get to know God more deeply, go to Italy, step into a serving role, buy the house, you know, many things. Perhaps. And we also likely have somewhere in the back of our consciousness some idea of what we want from God in 2023. Maybe it's God, like, please allow me to fall pregnant or for my citizenship to be granted or to meet the man or to be healed of this chronic illness or for my child to return to you or please would you restore my mental health or would you reveal your will to me in this or that area? We kind of seem to know what we want from ourselves. We kind of seem to know what we want from God. What I would love to ask of us this evening is have you considered what God might want from you in 2023? Has that even crossed your mind? In amongst the miracles you are believing for, the goals you want to achieve, the things that you intend to do for God, have you thought about what you could maybe give to Him? And so there is this story found in the Old Testament in the book of 1 Samuel about the mother of the prophet that the book is named for called Hannah. And we are going to read slash paraphrase that story this evening and take some notes from how she approached God and her desires. And we are going to use that to help us make some new rules for New Year's resolutions. Is that all right? Come on, let's go. All right, so we're going to start with with the story. And this story starts with the family of a man named Elkanah. And he was a godly man. Now, he had two wives, Peninnah and Hannah, which I realise 
sounds contradictory to the notion that he was a godly man. And uh, one of the wives, Peninnah, she had a lot of children and the other wife, Hannah, had no children and this broke her heart. Now, we'll just pause um, even before we start and just touch on a little bit of context so that we can understand this story properly. The part of the Bible that we are looking at tonight is narrative. It's story. So it's, it's a true story. It's history, but it's a story nonetheless. It is telling, about, telling us about what was, not necessarily what should have been. And so in the ancient Near East where our story is set, polygamy was just what was. And uh, the scripture's not affirming it. It's just telling us what happened, telling the story. And in fact, in all of the examples of polygamy throughout the text of the Bible, not a single one of them is marked by health or by flourishing. Conflict characterizes all of them. And so we can perceive God's intent for healthy monogamous marriages, even in what was, even when it should not have been, just to clear that up. And this is also an indicator of the nature of our God who meets people where they are at and not where they should be. So when we look at the Bible and we read about things like polygamy and it's like, what is going on? That is not a reason to reject the Bible as irrelevant, but it's an invitation to know the God who is drawing near to you, no matter what your life looks like, no matter the state of your heart, just as He was to the people in this story. And uh, secondly, I don't think we really need to explain why being unable to have children might have broken Hannah's heart. But just to add some weight to her experience, in the ancient Near East, we're looking at an agrarian economy. So the role of women in society is to have babies, bear children so they can go out into the field, they can work, particularly sons, they can increase the land, increase the cattle, increase the wealth. So the more sons a woman could bring into her family, the more honour that was given to her, and this is like her purpose. So again... This is what was, not necessarily what should have been, but the point is it made life really painful for Hannah. All right, so let's read now that we kind of know where we are. 1 Samuel 1, 3 to 8. Year after year, this man, Elkanah, went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Peninnah, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? All right, we'll pause again. A few things. So firstly, this piece of scripture does not imply that every example of a barren woman in the world or every example of bad and painful things happening in life are a direct result of God setting that in motion. It simply tells us that this situation was. In this instance, God closed Hannah's womb for a purpose that we're going to discover. And that means that we can expect that there might be times in our lives where God might allow pain or difficulty for our own good and for His glory, but that does not automatically mean that the thing that you are navigating this evening has been inflicted upon you by God. We live in a very broken, created order with broken people making mess everywhere, including me, including you. And life is very complex. So the oversimplification of suffering is never going to serve us or help us. Secondly, Hannah's pain has been long, year after year after year. She is so upset by Peninnah throwing this in her face that she can't eat. 
So I don't know if you can remember the last time you were so sad and sick that you couldn't stomach a meal, but that is about where Hannah is. And if that is you this evening, can I just say, I'm so glad that you're here because Scripture calls Jesus the Father of compassion who comforts us in all of our trouble. It describes us as His comforter. And this I know personally to be true. So you can reach out to Him even right now as I am talking, even as you sit and listen because He is right here and He sees you and He loves you. And thirdly, we can read Elkanah's response of, Hannah, why are you sad? Am I not enough for you? I love you. Doesn't that mean more to you than kids? To Hannah, a couple of different ways. So maybe, maybe Elkanah is being a well-meaning and yet somewhat insensitive man. Trying to, I didn't come up with that. That was a commentary. Trying to, it's true. Trying to encourage her, but not really understanding her pain or the fact that she has desires that he can't fulfill. But maybe we can read his words as a representation of what God himself might say to Hannah. Hannah, do you not have everything that you need in me? Am I not enough for you? So let's pick up in verses 9 to 18. Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Yes, that is an odd vow. We will get to that. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favour in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Essentially, Hannah is saying here, God, I am so, so desperate. Just give me the child and I will give him back to you. The implication of this being, if God gives her the son that she so deeply desires, she will dedicate him back to God as a Nazarite. So to be a Nazarite was to make this lifelong vow of consecration to God. It involved never cutting your hair. It was a radical life and it would mean that Hannah would not raise her son. He would live with Eli the priest and serve God. So if we can imagine for a moment wanting something so desperately that you are in a depressive state and you can't eat and you say to God, God, please just give it to me and then I'll give it back to you. They're like, what? Like, why, what is even the point of that exercise? Pick up in verse 20. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Verses 24 to 28. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli and she said to him, pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord and he worshipped the Lord there. 
And then we go on in the, in the book to read that each year when Hannah would go up to the temple to worship, she would make Samuel a little robe and bring it to him. And the prophet Eli blessed her and prayed that she would have more children. And she went on to have three more sons and two daughters. It's a very beautiful story. I used to read it often as a child. It was one of my favourites, but I had absolutely no concept of Hannah's pain or, or what it cost her to give her child back to God. And I still have no concept of that, to be honest. But we kind of have to ask, like, how could she say and do such a thing? And why on earth would we want to take notes from Hannah's life? And perhaps what does this have to do with New Year's resolutions? But stick with me because we're going to get there. I promise. If we take a look at Hannah's prayer, we see an order. Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. So this prayer starts with number one, Hannah identifying who she is talking to, the Lord Almighty. And then number two, identifying who she is, his servant, and then number three, identifying what she desires, a son, in that order. Hannah does not begin with her problem. Now she's not pretending, right? She's not like putting on her Sunday best smile and coming demurely to God, a pretty little religious picture. She's weeping bitterly, she's coming vulnerable, a posture of intimacy, but she does not open with her issue and her pain. She begins by declaring who God is. Lord Almighty, the God who is sovereign, the God who is over all the powers in heaven and earth, the one who undergirds history, that's what Lord Almighty means. Meaning church, when we bring our needs and our desires to God, starting with who He is and not the needs and the desires themselves, we are setting ourselves up to pray with the correct perspective. Secondly, Hannah identifies who she is, a servant of God. I recently heard someone talking about this, talking about how they live their life anticipating that one day God will say to them, well done, good and faithful servant, just like Jesus talks about in Matthew, good and faithful servant, not good and faithful CEO or good and faithful pastor or good and faithful engineer or teacher or business owner. Not that those things don't matter, but they are not our identity and nor are they our metric for success. So how could Hannah give back to God the things she desired most? Perhaps because she understood that her identity was a servant of the Most High God and that it never belonged to her anyway. Perhaps she understood that the call of a servant and the call on all of us is to lay down our lives as a living sacrifice per Romans 12. Perhaps she understand that Samuel ultimately did not belong to her. Perhaps she understood that the giver of the gift is ultimately better than the gift itself. And because of that, she could hold the gift with an open hand. Might I suggest, church, that part of our problem is that we are frequently praying for things that we have no intention to ever offer back to God. Because here's the thing, just as Samuel did not ultimately belong to Hannah, just as her own body did not ultimately belong to her, your own body doesn't belong to you, nor mine to me. Your family does not ultimately belong to you. Your friendships do not belong to you. Your money does not belong to you. Your intellect does not belong to you. Your skills, the strengths of your personality don't belong to you. Everything that you have and I have is a gift from God to bring Him glory. Romans 11, for from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. James 1, every good and and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father. 
Church, God is better than anything and everything that we have. And when we can truly recognise that, we will give Him everything with an open hand, desiring to use it for His glory. But what I also love is that after identifying who God is, the Lord Almighty, and after identifying who she was, His open-handed servant, Hannah still brought the request in her heart. She still asked for the son in the correctly prioritised order, but she asked nonetheless. Because we might think, well, if Hannah had such an open hand, such an understanding that God was better than giving her a son to the point that she was willing to give it back to him, then why not just be settled with that? Right? Why not just leave it there? Why not be content in God without ever falling pregnant at all? But she still asked the God of Abraham who gave Isaac after 90 years of Sarah's barrenness because he is the God who can and he is the God who does. This is a personal relational dynamic that Hannah has with the Lord Almighty. High faith, open hand. Big request, humble heart. See, church, here is the thing. God has already given us everything through Jesus. Hannah and Samuel, they were living in anticipation of a Messiah who was going to come and save the world. We live in the reality of His kingdom that has come. We spoke before about the state of the world. It's a bit of a mess. The God we worship is the only God who would look at such a catastrophe and launch a rescue mission that cost Him and not us who made the mess in the first place. So Jesus came to earth as as a human. He lived a human life with all of the joy and the pain that comes with that. He lived an experience just like you and me, except He did not sin. His perfection meant that He was an acceptable substitute for you and I as a sacrifice for us because we are the reason that the world is the way that it is, all of us. And on the cross, He took all of our sin upon Himself, was punished in our place. He died, was resurrected, and because of His perfection and His righteousness, that is now given to us as a gift. So we can walk around as if we had never sinned, as if there was nothing broken deep within us, and we are invited into a life in which we can partner with God in bringing His restoration to the world. The God who can. So what are you believing the God who can for, and will you use that to serve Him? Will you give it back to Him like Hannah? The point is not apathy, that we don't care about anything because God's better than all of it. The point is that we have high faith with an open hand, big requests with humble hearts. God, I know who you are, Lord Almighty, and I know who I am, your open-handed servant. And I know that you are the giver of good gifts. So knowing all of these things, I will ask confidently and I will give whatever you give me back to you. I will leverage any and every gift you give me for your glory. So the family that I am praying for will be raised to serve you. The job I am believing for will be done to honour you. The pay rise I am contending for will be stewarded for you. Amen? So this is our framework for the evening. With this, Hannah's approach to God and herself and the desire in her heart as an example fresh in our minds, what are the new rules that we might set for our New Year's resolutions? I just want to go through three thoughts that I pray will serve us as we head into 2023. Setting resolutions about giving back to God, just a tiny bit, just a tiny piece of all that He has given to us. And so number one is give God consecration in a culture of consumerism. Number two is give God your attention in the age of the digital. And number three is give God the private in a world that celebrates the public.
Are we ready? Number one, giving God consecration in a culture of consumerism. I'm sorry those are big words. There's no other words that mean those words that are shorter. Everywhere we go in our culture, we're a consumer these days, right? And, and we bring our consumeristic approach with us. Well, how far away is it? How busy is it? How much is happening there? Is it cheap enough? Is it cool enough? Is it aesthetically pleasing enough? Is it going to serve me? Am I going to get a lot out of it? And that's just a part of modern life. But might we consider, are we coming to God and to church as a consumer? If you're unsure, here are some questions to ask yourself. Do you tend to neglect God until you're desperate? Do you go to Him for comfort and help, but not to repent and receive instruction? Were you put off by the band not doing the song that you wanted this evening? Are you internally critiquing my message right now instead of asking God to speak to you? Tonight, do you see yourself as part of an audience or as a living and active part of the body of Christ? Now, full disclosure, I've done all of those things and I will do them again. But in 2023, church, let us not be a people who approach God and His church as consumers. Let's consecrate ourselves to Him. To consecrate just means to dedicate our whole selves to Him and His purposes, not our own. Daryl Johnson says, Jesus comes into the world to bring abundant life, but that abundant life is experienced only where He is allowed to rule. He is a Saviour only where He is allowed to be Lord, and He is Redeemer where He is allowed to be Master. I think that we can be very good at being very confident that our lives are open to God, sold out for God, living for God. The lyrics of our worship songs affirm, Alabaster Heart, that really affirms this. But at the same time, in reality, we can sometimes give Him very little room to actually have His way in our hearts and our minds and our lives. Can you see God in your relationships? Because He is probably located wherever the point of self-sacrifice is the point of preferring somebody else and and willing their good above your own? Can you see him in your bank statements? Can you detect him in your decision-making? 1 Peter 2.5 says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You have not been called to be a consumer of God or of His church. You are a priest, ministering to God through your life and then to others. I think I'm slowly starting to learn a bit about the difference between God's gifts and His nearness. All of the things that God gives me, they bless me so much and I'm so grateful for them. But it's His being near me that changes me. And that is very important because it's only a changed me that can then be a blessing to others. And now God is always near. He's Emmanuel, the God who is with us. So the real question is, where am I? in proximity to Him. A real life hidden in Jesus, radical in the ordinary day in, day out stuff of life. That is a consecrated life. So a new rule for your New Year's resolutions, give God consecration in a culture of consumerism. Number two, give God your attention in the age of the digital. I know this point might feel a little bit odd, uh, but this is also just our lives now. We live in the attention economy. We live with a constant stream of inputs from multiple devices at all times, all vying for our attention. Mary Oliver said that attention is the beginning of devotion. 
there is a steady accumulation of psychological evidence that suggests that wherever we direct our attention first thing in the morning and then last thing before we fall asleep shapes us more than anything else in our lives. This is not the best news if we fall asleep to Netflix and wake up to Instagram. How much time do you spend talking to God, listening to God, contemplating God, meditating on His Word versus mindlessly distracting yourself from life with entertainment? And I don't say that to make you feel guilty because I don't have a leg to stand on. I decided to quit social media uh, thinking that it would be easy for me because I thought that I was disciplined. And it took me months months of non-commitment and backing and forthing and slowly, slowly easing out and actually a word of knowledge before I actually followed through. So I'm not criticizing, but I do ask because 2 Chronicles 16, 9 says, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. I want to be the strengthened one whose eyes, who is fully committed. I want the eyes of the Lord to be roaming the earth and to see me and to stop because He found a faithful one. But... Every single day I run the risk of being too distracted, too medicated, too full of other people's thoughts and ideas to get my own revelation from God. In 2023, might we find ways to give God our attention in the middle of everything else that wants it? Very quickly, quick starter tips. When you wake up in the morning, before the phone, recite or read Psalm 23. When you go to sleep, before you shut your eyes, thank God for one thing from the day. It's not too tough to start. A new rule for your New Year's resolutions, give God your attention in the age of the digital. Um, The band can join me whenever you're ready. And our last thought, we're wrapping up soon, is give God the private in a world that celebrates the public. I don't need to explain how much our world celebrates the public. We all know, just jump on Instagram, right? Never mind your character or your emotional health or your consecration to the Lord. As long as you're wearing the right things and going to the right places with the right people, life is good. The older I get, the more I realise things are very rarely what they seem to be on the surface and from the outside. Everyone's battling something, everyone's navigating something, everyone's life is harder than it looks and I think most people are probably not becoming who they want to be as quickly as they would like. Neither am I. Jeremiah 17, 7-8 says, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Beautiful. But I cannot become that in the public place. That is developed in the secret place, in the private place. I cannot succeed my way to trusting God. Your affirmation, no matter how much you like me, cannot produce within me trust in God. Having great friends or having the best kids ministry or getting married or buying a house cannot magically develop within me trust in God. And nor can they in you. Confidence in God, trust in the Lord ultimately comes from Him. He gives it to us. We can't like will it into existence, but it grows and develops in private, in the secret place, you and God living life together. And giving God the private is costly. It takes time and it takes energy. It's sitting down after a long day of work and asking God, okay, Lord, where were you in my day? Where did I miss you? Where did I honour you? Where do I need to repent? Where do I need to thank you? 
giving God the private is, Lord, here are the desires of my heart. I trust you with them and I will serve you and honour you in the little things that I can control, trusting that you will handle the big things that I can't control no matter what. Giving God the private is, Lord, have my daydreams, have my thoughts and my reactions and my impulses and my compulsions, heal them and change them. In Matthew, Jesus talks about how the power we need for the public will be found in the private. That in 2023, we might get our priorities right and allow the person that we present to the world to be an overflow of our intimacy with Jesus and not this curated version of ourselves, our false self that is clutching to control perception. A new rule for your New Year's resolutions. Give God the private in a world that celebrates the public. Hannah had her priorities ordered. Understand who God is, God Almighty. Understand who I am, His open-handed servant. And then freely ask Him for what I need and what I desire with a willingness to give it back to Him. Church, would you stand with me? Um, I might just pray for us and then we'll sing. Father God, we invite You afresh into our hearts, our minds and our lives. As we launch into a new year, we pray, would You come and have Your way? We want to lay down. We want to give back to You. We recognise what You have given to us. Would You help us? Would You show us, reveal to us what we might lay down for You? In Your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us and special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. And let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.